Welcome back to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I've got Frank the Tank across from me. Neither one of us are hunting today, uh, which is a miracle. And the great South Cox has <laughs> joined us today. South, you've had a hell of a season so far. I'll tell you, it's uh, been an eventful one. Um, you know, starting from Nevada was that like six weeks ago or something and and then on through this one and it sounds like you know we're swapping stories before the we started recording here and and uh, everyone here at the table has suffered some uh, ailments as well as unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> of, of success there but man what a year huh what a weird one oh yeah yeah well uh I thought the cow snip one was pretty good but I think you've got me beat you weren't even on the blood trail and you kicked an arrow and it kicked into your heel or what happened? Yeah. So this is a, a crazy story. And, and uh, I guess we'll fast forward to the end of that Nevada hunt just to, for the, the sake of sharing this part. And then we'll, you know, me rewind. rewind. And, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a freak accident. I mean, one in a, I don't know, billion as far as I could figure. So I'd shot, I'd hit this buck and, uh, you know, got almost full penetration. The arrow broke in half as, you know, often happens. And the broadhead end of the half of the arrow had fallen in the sagebrush. And I watched this buck run out and pile up. So, um, you know, I, I didn't need to follow the blood trail, but I, I looked, spent a little bit of time looking for the broadhead end of the arrow just so I could recover the broadhead. And um, I was... Well, it sounds like you recovered it. <laughs> yeah, not the way I intended, though. <laughs> yeah, basically, I mean, if you can picture this, right? So the 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 broadhead end of the arrow must have been like laying in the grass or suspended on some really low sagebrush um, up off, you know, directly off the ground. And so I had was walking along, and I so picture this: I step over the broadhead with my left foot and the shaft and the broadhead are laying parallel in the direction that I'm walking. My next step, my my toe of my boot goes underneath the back end of the shaft. And as I'm lifting it up, it catches on the bridge of my foot, the broken end of the shaft does. And then my foot goes forward for my next step and then shoves that broadhead end of the arrow in to the back of my left heel and uh, barely misses my Achilles tendon and, yeah, goes right through the back of my boot. And, you know, as soon as I – do you think I, you got bit by a snake yeah, or something? Your, what was yeah. your first thought there? <laughs> no, <laughs> <Man> down. <laughs> I hit the deck pretty quick. Sniper, sniper. <laughs> They're yeah. shooting at the cans. Yeah, yeah, I was like, what the hell? You know, I felt this thing hit me in the back of the foot. And at the same time, you know, I, I basically – almost tripped because my my foot was caught on the back of my shaft there and on a station well moving but stationary object there um and so i i look down and i see the back end of this arrow sticking out of my left heel and it's just like oh, <laughs> oh my god yeah so i sat down and and pulled the arrow out of my foot and uh you know, pulled my boot off and, and fortunately immediately saw that it was to the left of the Achilles or right rather to the right of the Achilles tendon. So, I mean, I got super lucky as, 
you know, unlucky as it was, I got super lucky in that it was a fairly superficial wound. Um, How deep was it? I figure it went in about in probably an inch and a quarter or something. Oh, yeah, it's got full penetration. <laughs> Don't yeah. fuck with a Valkyrie. Oh yeah. man, Good yeah, Lord. those things are wicked sharp, and and uh, I mean to compound matters. So really, I got off pretty easy there. But then when I was packing my buck out, you know, I was trying to be really ginger with my left foot. So I was kind of step, you know, how you kind of do a, a quick step where you don't put full weight on on the foot there or, or a, you know, knee or whatever, if you're suffering a little bit from pain in that side. And so I was packing it out. I was on a pretty good side hill and I ended up rolling my ankle and got a severe sprain on that side. <laughs> so, I mean, I went from bad to really worse in short order. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Well, rewind how because I haven't talked to you much. I mean, we talked a couple of times shortly and texted, but I haven't talked to you at all hardly about the Nevada hunt. How did that sound like you were had quite a bit of competition in there. Oh, it was insane, man. I mean- Has it turned into the Wasatch or is it- It, it was pretty <laughs> much a Wasatch hunt 10 miles back in, which I think that, you know, if you were to backpack into an area and end up in probably the most densely hunter populated area, you know, in, the, in that mountain range, it was insane. So I talked to- a buddy of mine um, that was back in, you know, uh, he was a couple miles away from me. Um, but he, between the hunters that I saw and the hunters that he saw, we're about 23 guys, not including our party and his party. So we would be right about 30 guys. <laughs> yeah, it was insane, man. I mean, that's the last thing you expect when you backpack in 10 miles, but was everybody pretty respectful or was it actual Wasatch combat hunting? Oh, there was, it was a bit of a rodeo. Yeah. I mean, for, for perspective. So I've hunted in there for about 20 years and there's a ridge line that I've, I've been on since the first year that I hunted there. And in 20 years, I've seen three guys on this ridge in 20 years. And I saw six roll off of there in one afternoon. Good Lord. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, um, I was super dejected, uh, and you know, immediately, of course, swore I'd never put out another video because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of that is my own doing. You know, um, so it's hard to complain too much. But you know, the last thing you want to have happen. I mean, I, I want to inspire people and educate them and get people motivated and interested in backcountry hunting. But the last thing you want to do is get every Everyone, you know, on Google Earth looking for the spot that you're going into. Well, Steve, the guy that he pretty much blamed me for and you. But uh -huh. um, <laughs> but I'm like, look, man, it's not. I was like, these guys already drew the tag. Like, right. how the hell would that? You know what I mean? Like, and one guy um, that actually works by us, I'm laying on a rock basically in my underwear dying. Or I just tired. He comes over and introduces himself and. I'm trying to hint around, like, maybe, maybe I did fuck this up. <laughs> like, uh -huh. I'm like, so what'd you ever, how'd you figure this out? He's like, I just looked at a map, and he'd bitten off a bit more than he could chew. I mean, he went varsity mm -hmm. out the gate, first backpack hunt ever. Right. And uh, I don't think he realized, you know, we're looking at deer a mile away. He's like, so you go after those? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. But, you know, trying to figure out, like, I couldn't blame me and Frank for this because – 
people had already drawn the tag and they knew where they were going well before. And we never posted any photos that were too revealing. revealing. Um, So I don't know if it's just a matter of, you know, the area or people just take a guess because, you know, they, they draw the tag because they hear it's good. And, but I, I found like out of the, I guess, eight total um, that we ran into four bit off more than they could chew that I talked to. And one, I'm assuming he bit off more than he could chew because he just left. Like uh, the second trip, he just packed his shit up and went home. And I, I, I got to wonder how many guys were like that out of the ones you saw that just thought the the for, you know the backpack hunting thing was going to be awesome. Then they get back there and find out that it's rough. You know, right? So. Right? Yeah. I mean, the herd definitely thinned out some the longer I was up there, and, and they may, you know giving them the benefit of the doubt they just may have moved you know off that ridge line because i ended up sticking it out and uh um you know i i was tempted just to pull out and go somewhere else but um i had split points with larry jones um this year and for the people that don't know who he is you know maybe more recent bow hunters um he his video back in he did a video hunting open country mule deer back in 1987 it released and and uh, i had just graduated from high school then i was uh 11 yeah <laughs> i was still kind of inside my dad dana the one that works up front here she didn't know who larry d jones or wayne carlton was uh-huh I don't know. I gave her shit for five. I was like, I should smack the shit out of you. I was like, this is what's wrong with Instagram today with uh-huh. with social media hunters. I was like, these are the founders of. That right. was at the uh, Colorado bow hunter thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, holy crap, Wayne Carlton. I grew up watching that guy. And she's like, who's that? Yeah. Like, Son uh-huh. of a. <laughs> know who Eric Chesser is. No idea who Wayne Carlton is. But yeah, that's crazy. But anyway, go ahead. Sir, Larry's a huge. I'm from Oregon. Larry's, you yeah. know, from Larry's the man. And how old is he now? He is 76. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he knew Joseph Smith when they started Mormonism. <laughs> I mean, he they were buddies. I mean, and he's still getting after it. Oh, uh, it was impressive. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I turned 50 next year, and, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I would have been happy if I was still upright, let alone, <laughs> you know, backpack hunting at 50. And uh, so, you know, occasionally I'll be like, man, this is this hill is kicking my butt, and, and – uh, you know, starting to feel my age. And, and then you, you think about this guy who six or seven years ago had quadruple bypass surgery. Um, he was shooting and, with his teeth last year yeah, too, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. And now, you know, he was, he was working his way back up to healthy fr- from a shoulder standpoint, shooting, uh, shooting with, um, his, uh, uh, I think he, I don't, I, I forgot to ask him what kind of draw weight he was shooting, but his, his you know, he didn't have a, his full strength back in, back in his shoulder and his accurate shot, you know, distance was, uh, effective shot range was probably about 15 yards. So I knew we had an uphill battle, you know, trying to get in that range, although, you know, it can happen. Um, but that guy impressed the hell out of me. When we, the day that we packed out, he did about 14 miles and, uh, you know, the, most of that was um, with weight coming out. Not yeah. a lot, but, you know, probably 35 pounds or something. But, I mean, it was 
I was super impressed. Yeah. I mean, it gives me a lot of hope that I've got, you know, another at least quarter century ahead of me. So yeah, yeah Patrick, the owner here at Kafaru, mm-hmm. he's the same way. He's 75 and, uh, he's having knee issues. I mean, it yeah. catches up with you. It's funny cause you've got me by nine years. I've got you by 11. And it's funny because I'll bitch about ailments and I'll mm-hmm. tell them like, wait, it's right. coming. Yep. And then, and then you, you know, you are, you, oh, I'm sure in 11 or nine years, I'm going to have things happening to me that yep. I'm just like, I can't get any worse than it is now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it is what I, what I notice is I'm fine at right now. Uh, I can still go fast. I mean, I, fast. I mean, I still get up the mountain or whatever, but there's sometimes the next day where I'll stand up and I'm like, you know, I might want to sit down for a minute and stretch because I'm sore. Like, mm-hmm. holy cow. Is that, are you getting? Yeah. I, I, I had, uh, you know, doing construction for 25 years, I've got a fair amount of abuse that I inflicted well, on my body. Flooring. Yeah. Dude, that's yeah, which is that brutal. roofing and flooring. Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually thought I was going to need some orthoscopy surgery after my Colorado <laughs> mule deer trip this year. I mean, I had a week between when I got off that hunt and when I rolled into my elk hunt and I had some issues under my kneecap on my right knee that didn't go away. Fortunately, now they've stopped bothering me. So I think I'm, I'm good for another year anyway. I had that. It was weird before season. I was complaining about my knee and then i don't know what if i needed to lube it up by kicking the shit out of it we got on the mountain and elk hunt, it went or mule deer hunting it went away yeah it was the same thing i just walked downhill and i'm like god what's falling apart here yeah. what the hell's going on but what part of your knee was it was it that tendon that goes over the kneecap on the outside of oh. my kneecap i yeah i'm not an expert eventually i'm sure my as of right now, like you've got lower back, your lower back gets stiff, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's from flooring where with me doing commercial glass, it's other issues from packing those giant right. units around. But it, I mean, <laughs> one way or another, people like, I'm sure Larry didn't lead an easy life. And you think about when he started backpack hunting. Yeah. He did not have four inch thick air pads and shit. I mean, he was probably a Camp Trails aluminum frame and a Dude, foam pad. He <laughs> still is, man. His gear came over on the Mayflower. I was tripping, man. Oh, that's <laughs> the funny. stuff that he was he was pulling stuff out of gunny le- legitimate gunny sacks. Oh lord, <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. It was pretty amusing. Yeah. yeah. Well, how how long did it end up taking you to get the deer in there? Uh, I want to say I shot my buck on the fourth. I think it was the fourth day. Were you uh, anticipating that or on the first day seeing all those guys? Were you thinking, man, I'm going to have to retire back here? Or were you seeing pretty decent deer population? No, you know, um, the – and I experienced this in, in Colorado as well to a degree, but how dry it was this past winter um, and then the lack of, of um, you know, snowpack to lead to a good green up, you know, comes spring and summer – um, it really had the deer dispersed differently. And in the first basin I looked in in Nevada, um, usually it's good for, you know, 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. I didn't see one. No, oh, man. I mean, it was crazy. I'd never been in that basin before and not seen a buck. And so it really had me sweating it, you know, because here I am telling Larry about how good this place is. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then I, I uh, swing and a miss there on my on my first choice spot. And 
Um, we ended up finding some deer actually on opening day, a couple of, well, I think it was like five bucks in an adjacent basin. And one of them was a really nice three by three with, uh, one of the eye guards had like a five inch eye guard. It was really cool looking deer. And, um, one of the things that I found, you know, I've always kind of known this about myself, but I'm pretty aggressive when I'm stalking. And I also know that I, you know, a lot of times I don't take the time enough time when I'm getting in close to, to really stop and glass ahead of me where I should be. And, and it's just like, you know, you get blinders on and you, yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, that's what happened on this stock here. Two, the the two bucks there was a four point that was um probably like a 135 class four by four not all that big and then that three by three that, hey that'll look real big on the 10th day let me tell you oh man yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i probably you know i really wanted the three by three is probably a 27 inch wide three by three nice buck you know good long back tines and it it may have been pope and young it was somewhere in that you know in that range but just a really nice framed deer and the two of them had gone down and embedded behind some trees. And so I didn't, from our perspective, I, I just knew that they went behind these trees and never came back out again. And there was a clump of them. So I, I knew that they were there, but I didn't know in which position, which one was going to be. So I kind of went into it somewhat on a blind stock. And as it turned out, um, I got to about 15 yards of the this clump of trees and was going in you know, not super fast, but faster than I should have been. And I should have been glassing as I went, but I knew that these, you know, in my head, I knew that these deer were on the backside and they were kind of over the roll of this little bank. And uh, I got in to about 15 yards and that four point ended up, he had, had moved and bedded on my side of the trees. And so I just ran right into him, essentially. You know, I saw his antlers move as he picked up some movement from me and uh, and I had enough time to get a shot off, but it was too, there's too many branches between us for me to be able to get a shot. And so he ended up bounding out of there. And, you know, it's kind of funny to, um, to be hunting with somebody that, you know, you've looked up to for so many years and here I go, I got a putt shot here and I screw it up. Right. So, (laughs) (laughs) so it was, but it was, you know, I, I knew that we could find other well, I thought that we'd be able to find plenty of other deer, but at that point, um, that was, we spent another, well, the next day Larry got, um, got a stock on some bucks and he's, it was interesting to look at the, the, um, difference in our approaches. He's super methodical, super slow going in on his stocks, not aggressive at all. He would prefer to wait until one or two o'clock in the afternoon till the thermal start blowing up and start rattling vegetation. And, and, you know, I was telling him, I was like, dude, there's, you know, if there's a deer in a good spot, we just need to go for it. Cause a lot of times these deer are getting up and moving multiple times during the day. And unfortunately that's what happened with him. Um, this buck during his stock just got up and, and, uh, ended up picking him off when it stood up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was just, um, you know, we struggled with that one. Let's talk about that for a minute. Cause you and I talked about that. Well, that, Four point really didn't count because he was so tuned up. But you know, for for me, not that, and it's different with the stick because you got to get close with yep. the compound. You can cheat a little bit, but 
talking about what they probably bed the first time at nine o'clock. Eight, but let's say between eight and nine thirty, mm-hmm. and then they'll rebed within a half an hour to an hour or something. They're going to rebed, right? Or what? You know, whatever. Is there was one? There was two different times, not counting that four by four with you, where I waited for them to rebed. And they were in such a good position the first time. I'm sitting there like I literally stood up, walked 10 yards to make the stock, came back, sat down. I'm like, I should wait. I should wait uh-huh. because it was such a good opportunity. The problem that I had where I was at, which you saw, it's not easy getting in there. And mm-hmm. so the, the time it might take you right. to get there is a bigger risk. But if it was something where I could have sped that up – yeah, I probably would have made that stock if I could have got down there because they were in such a good position. But some of those deer where we were, they re- they'd rebed six times. They'd feed, Holy rebed, cow. feed, rebed, and I think they felt so safe because you got to be an idiot to drop in that hole. Yeah. And so they felt so safe. I mean, it, well, you were only with me the last three days, I guess, three four, or four days. Yeah. But um, you know, talking about on the the stocks and 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 you and Larry's a different approach and like I talked to you the first day of the stock I went on what I should have done if I was smart is I would have got I was in a perfect position cuz I did same thing I took a shot and and missed the first day probably if Frank and I were there I would have had Frank probably stand up in the cliffs uh-huh. to get the deer to stand and kill them cuz he right. would have stood but man I get so same thing with you tunnel vision the only thing I have on my mind is it's a, it's a, it's almost a fixed point that I can't veer off from, which is bad. But I dropped right in on that buck, and I took for granted he was facing away when I dropped down. So I thought I would pop up and kill him. Well, I popped my fat head up, and he saw the first three inches, and I saw his main beam. I'm like, fuck. And he stood <laughs> up, and I'm like, oh. It's on now, man, now or never. And and then I ended up, it was weird because I was aiming at the dirt because uh-huh. of the hump. Right. And I could see everything but maybe the last inch of his body. But it's hard to aim at the dirt. It is. Knowing. But if I had to do that again, I would have had Frank or you or whatever probably stand up, throw a boulder or something, yep. make him stand. And how often does that happen to you? It sounds like you got the same kind of issue I have. Well, you're, you're a little bit more methodical. Usually Frank is. When you get that tunnel vision, how many times have you looked back and thought, Jesus, I should have done this instead? Or does that happen very much? No, it does. Too many times. (laughs) (laughs) Too many times for me to keep doing it, you know. I'm embarrassed to say, but that's probably one of my bigger shortcomings is is that, uh, you know, I'm not taking the time. Um, you know, especially when you get in tight to to be looking around, keep your head on a swivel because, you know, even – I've had deer where you, you know, you glass up a buck, he's bedded and you look all around, you know, doing what you're supposed to do to try to look for other deer. And then you don't see any, or you maybe you see one, you locate it. And, but then you think you've seen them all. Right. And then you start in from another direction in on your stock. So you've got a different, the advantage of a different perspective. And as you're getting in close, you know, you should be looking continuing to look for other deer, but then you're so confident you sat back there from a distance and you had the benefit, you know, of, of time and, and you weren't in tight where you had to, you know, your nerves are going and all this. And, and, uh, and then you, you just go and then you end up, you know, bumping something that you didn't see. 
um, or a deer that you had seen that you thought you had, you know, come in from the right position to keep him hidden has gotten up and moved while you were stalking and then bedded in a different spot and ends up picking you off. Yeah. And I do a lot better when it's a harder stock of paying attention, if that makes sense. When it's a gimme, that's yeah. what I'll fuck or right. mess up. Like right. I, when I like, like that one. I mean, it took me, I'd low crawl for 15 minutes, took me five to get down there. And I'm like, oh, it's done deal opening day. Yep. Wesley was watching. Nope, wrong. Screwed that up. <laughs> and yeah. you, you once, uh, Frank, you pushed one. You, you, you tried I knew, to. <laughs> I saw these deer bed down and I knew exactly, they, this is where I killed my deer last year. I saw where they went. I'm like, all right, this is a done deal. It was like 8 a.m. And uh, I was like, well, maybe I should be patient. No, I didn't think I didn't. I didn't do it. I just I just went after it, and they spotted me from across the basin. Some does did, and they ran up to where the bucks were, and then they all just blew out of there. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that was that was open uh, second day of season. I'm like, oh, dude, this is done. I know exactly where they're going to be, and that didn't work out. I, it seems like too like the one time when you wait, which makes you rush sometimes. Like I. Waited on this four by four dropped in this canyon and uh, not bedded. I just knew I'd get above them and shoot them and uh, four by four and a forked horn. And I thought, don't don't rush this. Be quiet. Anyway, so by the time I get up there, the forked horns at twenty four yards, dumber in hell, and the the four by four is at sixty. Five minutes earlier, I would have killed it, which will make you do stupid stuff later and think, well, there's that one time I should have sped up and and right. I didn't, and then and you do this something stupid, and you're like, maybe I shouldn't speed up. But so that was your first day, though. Yeah. Yep. All right. So keep. Well, sorry. So I'll squirrel there. So what what happened after that? So that pretty well ended that first day. We didn't get into any other bucks there. And then that's the next day. Larry got on uh, a group. I, I can't remember. There may have been five or six, seven bucks or something like this in this group that we had seen um, up in this willow patch. And then they moved up to the top of the ridge. So it was actually kind of a cool stock. And we, act, we got all the way to the top of the mountain, literally, and then went over the backside, super nasty, steep, and, um, and uh, you know, did some cliff negotiating to get around on these, got cliffed out by a big old crevasse and, and uh, had to come up in another route, got Larry up there and all the way at the top of the ridge, and then that's when, you know, he was moving a lot slower than what I would have done. Um, and not to say necessarily that my tactic was right, his was wrong. But in this instance, just like I overran, you know, the deer the day before and should have been glassing more, he should have been moving a little faster. And, and that buck ended up standing up and, and uh, you know, trying to identify when a deer is in its morning bed versus like an all day bed um, can be challenging. And a lot of times it comes down to, you know, how long, um, at least in, in my experience, how long that deer has been up feeding um, prior to it bedding. And of course, you don't know, you know, was it up feeding all night and then it goes and beds down and, and anchors itself. But in my experience, if you're you know, if you're seeing a buck that's feeding until, you know, 10 or 11 and then that thing beds down, it's going to stay bedded a lot longer than a deer that has gone to bed at 8 in the morning. Sometimes um, it seems the shade to how long they'll be in the absolutely. shade. It, it mm -hmm. one, of course, that'll f screw you too. I, it, it, like you're talking, it, it, there's many variables. The one I dropped in on all the way into that stupid hole and I get down to where he was and I think I'm going to have a chip shot and he's 
300 yards up the field feeding. Right. And I'm like, mother. And he was in a spot that he had shade all day. He just needed to eat. And the time it took me, it took me 45 minutes to get down there. He was, I mean, I would, I wouldn't need a rifle to kill him. And right. Like, Shit. And so then I, you know, thousand yard climb back up or thousand foot climb back up, but it's hard to tell. It is. It is. And, and when you're shooting with a stick bow, um, versus a compound, you can make up a lot of, um, you know, a lot of distance, obviously with the compound. So if that buck gets up and moves, you know, 20 yards and rebeds, that's, probably not going to be too big of a deal with the compound versus a stick bow that can entirely change <laughs> your approach or, or your ability to get in, you know, to range. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of roll of the dice there on when you should go after it and, um, you know, and, and then when you should stay put and, and hope that the deer gets up or, or waiting for that deer to get up and, and uh, re-bed there if you think it's just a morning bed. But I've seen, you know, I've seen bucks go in and, and uh, bed in a spot that I've identified as a morning bed just because, you know, there's not enough shade and, and you know that sun's going to swing around and start blasting them. <laughs> and then you, you'll see them lay out there and they're v- literally panting because they're so stinking you hot. See bodies going up and down from yep. panting, yeah. And they're still there. And it's you would have sworn that they... You know, maybe it was a good position, but you didn't think that you had enough time to get in on them before they got up. And then lo and behold, there they are, you know, still laying there two hours later. So it can be, you know, it can be frustrating trying to second guess, you know, these deer. But um, over over the course of time, you kind of get, um, you know, a better idea of, of what they're going to do and or at least, you know, anticipating them, especially if you're you know, hunting the same area um, repeatedly over the years, then you kind of get a feel for the deer to a degree. But um, so Larry, uh, Larry bumped those out. So we had decided in it and uh, I'd run into another guy on opening day and, um, you know, um, you hate to share excess share excessively information, (laughs) but this kid, you know, I was talking to him, he, he and a buddy and, and they were glassed in that same basin that I had stocked that three point on. And it was late in the afternoon. And so we, um, we were, uh, you know, he was glassing and I told him I had just stocked a couple bucks and I told him that, you know, that I had gone into the, my first choice base and hadn't seen anything. And, and he had also been in there as well. Um, and I, you know, told him where after, you know, talking to him for, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes, I told him where I was planning on going that next day if we didn't get anything, get into anything. So Larry ended up getting that stock, but I still, on the second day, but I really wasn't all that impressed with the number of deer we were seeing. So we decided to pull up and move to my, my, uh, second camp there that we had. And so we pulled up and moved. And then, uh, that's when I glassed those six guys rolling off that ridge in that one afternoon. And two of them ended up being the guys that I had just talked to the day before who had never been in that, you know, area before. So I was <laughs> really kicking myself for, you know, sharing that information at that point. It's, it's funny you bring that up because for the first with the guys I had the first two, three days was a very uncomfortable of mm-hmm. how much are you sharing? Right. I mean, the one time they said something and I was like, guys, you don't lie to me. I was like, just uh-huh. tell me. I don't, I was like, I'm not, 
I'm not going to, you know, basically screw you, right? Because I'm sure they've had the same thing happen where they're, you know, because I was like, do you guys see anything over there? Oh, we've seen a couple small ones. I'm like, oh, you're going to make that climb again for a small one. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sure, right? <laughs> uh-huh. But, and, and that's the thing. Some people will be, um, on, I guess, honest or what's the word, honorable about mm-hmm. that. And then other people are assholes and they're not going to be. I've got it. This may not be till the next <laughs> podcast here, but I've got a really funny story on my elk hunt about something, you know, just like that from a guy that we ran into. But <laughs> that's uh, that's for a later story. Um, so fortunately, this guy was like you had experienced with Omni that he, this guy was pretty good, you know, to deal with as far as he stayed in the head of the basin and, uh, he had glassed up some good bucks and was, um, content to stay there and, and, uh, try to shoot one of them or he and his buddy to try to shoot two of them as it worked out. Um, and, I was free to kind of run the rest of the ridge with the rest of the yahoos that were out there. <laughs> so um, the the fortunate thing in my instance is I don't think these guys were getting up as early as I was and, and um, you know, getting out there. So they were, they were seeing the ridge a little bit past prime time where I was, you know, down towards the end of the ridge um, when you'd want to be, you know, there at first light. And, so uh, that first, the, the next morning, so it would have been the third morning, we got down, you know, way down the ridge. And it was interesting, um, just I guess it just really depends on um, the way these the, – the only thing that I could figure is the way these storms were hitting, it dispersed the moisture a little differently. And so I was finding bucks on the – uh, would be the south facing slopes, which are, you know, it's just all sagebrush and they were feeding on that south facing slope and rolling over the top into the basins on the north side there, um, you know, after or yeah, shortly after first light. And I ended up, you know, as I was running, commuting down the ridge to the spot where I wanted to set up the glass, I ended up bumping into a pretty nice four point. Uh, two of them actually. Uh, well, one of them was was really good, and the other one was you know a mediocre one. And this one's probably in the you know 160 class, which for this area in Nevada with the number of tags they issue, it's you know you're gonna find some bigger ones, but that's you know kind of towards the upper end of it. Um, and uh, so I bumped this deer clearly at you know maybe little over a hundred yards. And, but I guess he didn't really realize what I was because he didn't go all that far. And so I just let them, I sunk down in the sagebrush, let him kind of calm down. And he ended up getting up, um, you know, when he, when I spooked him and then he fed around for a little while, bedded back down, then got back up and then went over the back over the top of the ridge. And so at that point, you know, I went over to the North facing side. Yeah. Okay. So I hauled ass as soon as he went over and I popped over and of course you run into a freaking doe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that blew that whole Does thing. Does and forked horns. Uh-huh. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was like, man, and and I don't know where that deer vanished to, but I never saw him again the whole rest of the hunt. And um, so day three, I um, trying to remember if we. I don't think that we really got on to anything at that point. I think that was kind of like the major event of the day. 
day four, fast forward, and I did the same exact thing. Bumped into a deer, another buck right in that same spot. But this time, luckily, I saw him before he saw me and he was coming up. He was down lower coming up um, off of the uh, side hill there. So we, um, my cameraman and I, Larry, so we would just, you know, burn ahead and Larry was kind of, um, I don't want to say lagging for, for disrespect, but he was behind us and then he'd catch up when, you know, at a, at a glassing point. So he was stopping and glassing some of the other basins along the way so that I could get out to the end and try to find deer while it was still, you know, super light. So he was kind of covering the earlier basins. So I ended up seeing this, um, this pretty nice four point and he was coming up through the sagebrush feeding going fairly slow and and there was a decent sized saddle further down the ridge that i figured he was either going to go through that saddle or he was going to come around the way that buck had done the the morning before so we got up on this knob kind of between those two locations and we just sat there and watched him until we figured that he had committed to going one way or the other and at that point i i had interpreted through his direction of feeding that he was going to go through that um, through that saddle. So I set my cameraman up on the knob and he was about 70 or 80 yards above me. And I, you know, boots off, socks on, slipped down, found like the best kind of ambush spot as he was going to come through that saddle. And so I'm waiting there. I got my GoPro all set up and I'm, you know, arrow knocked. I'm standing kind of a little bit behind this tree and good, you know, as good a camouflage as I could get. And I figured I was going to have somewhere, you know, 30 yards on in for a shot. So I'm sitting there for, I don't know, close to 10 minutes. And all of a sudden I hear a rock land behind me and I turn around to look back up the hill and my camera is frantically motioning for me to come back up the hill because the buck <laughs> had gone the other way. Uh, so I sprinted. How, how far was the other way? Um, so he, my camera was about 75 yards up the hill from me. And then it could be anywhere from you know, 50 to 75 yards in the other direction that this buck was going to be coming. Not horrible, but definitely plenty of room to make noise. Yeah, Yeah, plenty of room to make noise. And then also, you know, plenty of of distance at 10,000 feet as you're running back up a hill to try (laughs) to really wear yourself out and get your heart rate up. So I ducked back kind of over the roll on the north side of the ridge there so I wouldn't make a whole lot of noise. And I ran as fast as I could in my socks back up to the top. So I didn't realize this, um, you know, because we were trying to communicate through hand signals and all this, but the buck had fed like within 30 yards of him. So he's rolling the video the whole time as he's trying to get my attention and trying not to spook the buck in front of him. So I ran back up the hill and and I'm kind of cresting over, not knowing, you know, where this deer is. And then I see antlers in front of me and he's walking kind of quartering towards me um and he you know i'm wearing that shaggy hat that i normally wear <clears throat> which i'm pretty sold on i think that real thing really breaks <laughs> helps break up your outline so he's come- wearing a hat backwards with a fat head doesn't work i can tell you that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he's a he's about 35 yards and incoming so i've already got an arrow knocked i'm in the somewhat in the sagebrush so i just kind of crouch down and i don't think he had seen me i think he is just you know, kind of coming in, but as he's coming towards me, he's climbing up the hill. So at about 25 yards, he, I think he picks up 
uh, you know, my outline and, and, uh, he's pretty suspicious about what I am. Um, so he's at a very slight quartering angle towards me at this point. And I'm, you know, fingers on the string tension on it, but I'm not drawing and it's the old standoff, right? Yeah. So it, it, I don't know, maybe say five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, somewhere in that range. I'm like, you know what, this is going to unwind and it's not going to be good. <laughs> so I just like, you know what, I'm just going to see if I can get a shot off here. I'm going to see, I'm going to try to slow draw, see if I can get a shot at him. So I start drawing my bow and I'm kind of crouched in a weird position as I'm trying to get, you know, get my uh, bow back to full draw. And I hit a, my lower limb hits a sage bush and I'm not at full draw yet. I'm about <laughs> maybe maybe plus three quarter draw and I'm not going to be able to get this thing for one I've been holding you know my bow up with tension on it so my arms are already kind of worked and then I hit that sage bush and I'm not getting my bow back any further so and I've never I've never shot my bow um you know, at less than full draw. You, know, you, you don't practice that way. Yeah. Right. You, you know, ideally you want your clicker to go off and my clicker wasn't anywhere near going off. So somehow mentally I make this calculation in my head without, you know, a full <laughs> equation to pull this thing off. And I went ahead and, and shot. And all I saw, I, I thought I hit him. But I wasn't dead certain. And the you know, buck spins, runs off, runs down the ridge. And then I see, you know, he runs down to, to the saddle on the other side of me. back Where you just the, were? Um, no, no, okay. the opposite direction. Okay. So the direction I'd come from camp. And um, interestingly enough, at the same time that this deer's running away, here comes Larry walking out of the trees, you know, where he was coming from camp, the camp direction, walking towards us. So he stops and he sees this buck running towards him because now the buck's running right towards him. Buck sees Larry, turns around, kind of comes back towards me, stops. And then I lift my binoculars up and I see a big old blood spot on the side, right? So I was like, all right, man. I, and it's right there in the chest, right where you'd want to hit him. And I'm looking at now the exit wound side. And then the thing starts staggering, goes down the hill a little bit further, starts rolling. And, and from Larry's perspective, Larry goes, yeah, I see this buck run out. And then he sees me and he turns and then he stops. And, I, and I'm looking at this deer, the body language of it. And it's like, something's wrong with that deer. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, then he's cool. like, man, that thing's been shot. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it piled up. And, and uh, then we, you know, roll into the blood trail thing. And, and then, of course, the arrow in the back of the foot. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy the way it worked out. It wasn't the classic spot and stock. It was kind of a spot stock ambush. And then, you know, set up again and and uh, or run like hell and and uh, set up again and so it was a uh, it was a uh, pretty wild the way it all worked out but it was um, one of those that you know you couldn't really script it just Happened. miraculously came together yeah you spent spent another six days in there didn't you yeah so I shot him on Monday I think that season opened on Friday and then um, spent the rest of the week in there and we packed out that following Friday gotcha which. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably uh, a good thing to talk about to a degree as far as like meat care. Yeah. So 
I hung, you know, it was warm. It was getting into the eight, probably the low eighties during the day, I would say. And, uh, I hung my deer in a tree, you know, I had good all day shade. And then, so at night, um, it just have a, you know, a cool breeze blowing over the meat. And then during the day I'd take my sleeping bag, turn it inside out and, uh, wrap it around the, the game bags there and kind of, you know, to keep it refrigerated essentially during the day. And, and, uh, I started, you know, I told Larry, I said, I think, you know, I should be good till the end of the week. And it, I didn't get ice on that thing until midnight. Friday night. That deer will probably taste really good too because it's aged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice and tender. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think people understand, and I brought this up before just because I had people have messaged me to tell me I was stupid for saying what you just did. And so uh, down or synthetic does not generate heat, it insulates right. your body heat. Right. And so it also insulates cold. Yep. Um, so if you put something hot in a Yeti cooler, it's just going to remain really hot inside the cooler. The same with a sleeping bag. If you put something cold inside of it, it insulates and keeps it. Absolutely. That, and I don't think people understand that. Um. Yeah, I mean, your, your insulation in your – it works no different than the insulation in your house. It's going to keep your AC cooler during the day and it's going to keep – you know, or during the summer and it's going to keep your heater warmer during the winter. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, and, and – the um you we didn't have that at warm attempts you probably did it got colder when i killed mine but you yeah. what you probably we kept yours another five days four days i guess four days in colorado colorado you're talking yeah. yeah but you know how that is it gets pretty cold at night up there i mean cold yep. enough and oh yeah no so. we were getting freezing temperatures where we were at and uh Man, I tell you, my favorite piece of gear this year has been that Kelvin jacket. Yeah. That with the hoodie. Yeah. With the hood, man, that thing. It was like when I that was the first year I used that. I had a Kelvin light that I used last year and just not quite it's a good insulation layer, you know, yeah. like um, but it's not gonna be enough on those freezing mornings um on its own. No, Frank's the same way with ours, cause um I don't know how you were. We had insane winds. I mm -hmm. mean, horrible winds. And, man, it got to a point. I, I was doing push-ups, walking around. I'd put, do push-ups, go get back behind the spotter because I just, my feet were, I'd have to take my boots off and wrap them up because my feet were getting so cold. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. That's the same way where you were, I know, because you weren't that far from me. Did you guys have horrible winds up high? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, I mean, laughing because you're tearing so bad from the winds yep. that you can't see through your optics. <laughs> yeah. No, we had the same thing. It was, it was rough. And I don't, I mean, you know, for me, cause I lose feeling in my hands pretty yep. easy. So, you know, I'm trying to do everything I can to stay behind the glass to a point where I finally just, I'd have to run behind the other side of the mountain, go do push-ups and squats and stuff and get some body heat going and then run back on the other side and glass more. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on, uh, altitude sickness. Um, I didn't experience it myself, but all three of the hunts I went on, um, guys that were on those hunts with me experienced altitude sickness in... Did Tim? No. Um, he, he experienced oxygen deprivation. <laughs> <laughs> I told uh, – I haven't got a chance to talk to you about uh -huh. this yet. I told Tim ahead of time he called me and I told him he was screwed. Like I was probably too blunt and came uh -huh. off like a dick because I said, dude, you're going to die. Yeah. 
And uh, he's like, "You're sure?" I'm like, "I'm positive. You're screwed. You're gonna die." <laughs> and uh, how did how did Tim do? You know, Tim did really well um, from a from a physical standpoint. Um, I think he he one of the comments he made when he got up there, and and I I definitely want to dive into this a little bit further, just so people you know if they're planning on a backpack kind of mule deer hunt that they have these expectations um, when they go into it but the one comment that he made when he got up there was wow this is a lot steeper you know than I thought it was gonna be and I think you know more from more than a physical standpoint like how tough it was gonna be climbing up and down the hills what he meant was that like from a safety standpoint yeah that it was because uh, I got to you know, I, I kind of take it for granted. I've run around these mountains, um, you know, for 30 plus years and I've gotten good at, um, you know, negotiating or even just it's like walking on a sidewalk for me most of the time to a degree. I mean, you get any kind of a skinny little trail or, or uh, you know, a path that you can go on. And I don't really think about what's to the left or the right of me. I just yeah. go. And there's a lot of places up there that if you fell, you're not going to live through it. But, um, you know, if you're walking down a sidewalk, um, then, you know, if you fall, it's the, the consequences aren't that grave unless you fall into traffic. And it's similar to that. It's like, you know, you, when you're walking down a sidewalk, you're not thinking about, geez, if I fell off the curb, but hit my car. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the same thing when I'm hoofing it around up there in the mountains, you know, I try not to think about, although I, you know, with last year I had a llama that fell off a cliff and, um, that kind of, um, when it was dragging my cameraman towards the edge of the cliff, it scared the crap out of me. I'm not going to lie. Um, he was holding on to the lead rope. He wasn't fortunately tied onto his pack or anything like that. But um, it, it really starts to um, – I guess it starts to drive home the kind of the danger, potential danger that you're in. And Roy Roth, you know, died on a sheep hunt there a few years ago and, and uh, you know – he, I think he stepped on a rock and it dislodged and, and, uh, and he went over, you know, um, either down over a cliff or down a steep, steep, you know, hill. Uh, I've read a book. Well, I listened to a book about survival situations a while ago and it, it said, uh, like if you fell off a cliff and injured yourself or died that, oh, um, you know, South had an accident and the guy was very clear on the fact of, it wasn't an accident. The problem with people like us is mm-hmm. we've been out there for so long. There's many red flags right. that you don't see as they're not even, they don't even stop. The, when you've been out there so much, red flags aren't red flags anymore. And you just yeah. pass right by them. And then when it finally happens, there was like 90 different red flags in the way of you doing what you're doing that you just totally passed off. Right. Don't even look at them as cautionary flags anymore. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like uh, we talked about Wesley going over the top of that. Wesley's afraid of heights. He's like, man, that was treacherous. And I got up there and me being me, I'm like, you pussy. It's not mm-hmm. that bad. Right. But, of course, I'm not afraid of heights. But for someone that hasn't been up there. Yeah. But, you know, I get up there and I'm like, oh, that's not that bad. There's a, there's a goat path. You can yep. make it. But then you think about it. If a rock did dislodge, you're falling 300 feet. Right. I just don't. Yeah. It sounds like the same with you. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, same yeah. with everybody. And that's what, you know, I, 
that's what Tim was experiencing. Tim yeah. was, you know, <laughs> from Ohio, you know, he's, he's done some mountain hunting, but not to the degree, nearly the degree that, you know, that we have in this room. And so he was, um, you know, at, I don't know, I, I don't remember how old Tim is, let's just say 30, you know, or 35, you know, in that range. Um, he is experiencing things that now at, with, with the kind of, caution that you would have as being an adult versus where I was a kid, I was running around stuff, climbing off trees, hanging off branches and, and all this stuff. So I got used to that type of experiencing experience when I was much younger, but you take a person and you put them in a situation like that. And they're, you know, no knock on anybody or him specifically, but it's just, that's not in their wheelhouse. Now, Frank's first time he got in a tree stand, dude, they looked like a bitch. Oh, like yeah. you were white knuckling <laughs> uh -huh. the side of it. You were yeah. only, what, 15 feet no up? No way, dude that, dude. that stand was high. <laughs> we were on a hill, and I fell off the side of it. I was like, I'm going to be paralyzed. But I'm like, can I get a harness? I'm like, I don't need a harness. Just don't fall this way. I'm like, oh, okay. Right, but right. You think about it, mountain hunted. Yeah. Altitude sickness, solo, 10 days, doesn't blink an eye. He's sitting in that tree stand. You know, like when you see women, I hate to say that, women drivers 10 and 2 in it, just like right. this. That was Frank. He's like, hold right. on to the side of the stand. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, but he's not used to it. Where yep. Tim has hunted that way before, yep. but not mountain hunted. It's just different. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, you know, at first... And I've um, I've hunted with a lot of different camera guys and with varying degrees of comfort and and um, experiences in the mountains, and uh, and so I'll just you know figure um, I'll adapt to you know what that person's abilities or comfort levels are. And at one point, you know, I took them on a on a uh, hike down this ridge. It was super steep, um, kind of one of those experiences where, you know, if you roll, you're going for a long ways, but we were on a, on a little trail. And so, you know, I would just, I could run, literally run down the trail, you know, with the kind of a footing experience that I've got as far as foot placement and all that. And we had gone, I don't know, we were a couple of miles anyway from camp and, and most of that being across this bridge line that was fairly treacherous. And we got to this, you know, one place where we had to do a kind of a rock scramble and uh, he and I, you know, kept on getting ahead of him and then I'd wait and then he'd pop up over the top and then and then we'd, you know, hook back up and then we'd go and like this. So after about 15 minutes, I hadn't seen him. So I was like, I started to get a little worried because he had always caught up to me. And so I went back and he's like, uh, you know, I'm good here. This is uh, – <laughs> so it's like, okay, all right. So I just – I went down the ridge to the end to where I wanted to look over. And, and uh, again, on this hunt here in Colorado, um, the animals were dispersed a lot differently than, um, than what I had experienced in the past. And I think it was – it was uh, to, you know, for one, it was a lot drier. And then I think the storms may have either may have hit in a different um, pattern than normal or or just, you know, the other side of the canyon, you know, normally gets a certain level of snowfall and the side that I was on gets a lot more. But because of the significant reduction in snowpack, you know, the other side got none and this one got, you know, more than none. But uh, I mean, we the, this basin that I always, you know, am 
um, getting stocks in and it, we call it our glassing point. We'll hike up from camp, sit down there every morning and there's a lot of good rim rock in there and that's usually the area where I'm getting consistent stocks and there was deer in there, but there was, you know, I didn't see anything north of 140 inches. Um, and normally there's, you know, 170 class bucks in there every year for sure. Um, and I kept on going up there every morning, but man, it just, we weren't turning up good deer. Now the elk were in there thick. Holy cow. Um, I saw up to six bulls in this basin at one time. Um, it was crazy, and the and the elk were staying in there, uh, you know, well past time. Normally, they're bailing out by you know half hour or so after first light, and and there were bulls that were hanging in there till ten o'clock in the morning. It was it was nuts. Holy cow! I saw you posted a picture on Instagram, and you said. There's this bedded bull, but I don't have a tag. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good bull too. Oh, it was. was he killable? Yeah, he. Uh, I only saw that bull in that basin the one morning that I got that picture, but that bull went and so he he went embedded in a spot that um, even with a stick bow I probably could have snuck in and and shot him. And uh, it was pretty funny because my two hunting buddies, uh, they ended up not – usually we all pile in there opening, you know, pack in together and, and we're all hunting together. And um, my one buddy's a mule deer fanatic like I am and the other guy is kind of more of an elk hunter. And uh, and so they're, they didn't make it in until middle of the following week. So I'm texting them from the top of the ridge. They had driven all night from Utah and, and uh, we're in Walmart, um, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, Wednesday morning. And, and then they were packing in that day. So I'm texting them pictures and, you know, all these bulls telling them about. And, <laughs> and uh, the one guy talked the other one into is like, no, dude, we're going in for mule deer. After we both tag out on mule deer, then we can come out and buy an elk tag, but don't distract yourself with an elk tag. So I'm texting him pictures and it's like, dude, one of you guys has got to buy an elk tag. I've never seen so many elk in this basin before in my life. And he's like, dude, it's too late. I'm, we're leaving Walmart and I'm crying <laughs> softly. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hilarious. So, but um, yeah, so the first, let's see, opening. So we pack in on Friday and um, <clears throat> there's two kind of main basins on the, um, that are, we camp right between them and one basin, um, the, the one basin that's to the, geez, I don't even know what direction that would be to the, must be to the east of us where we camp, um, the main trail as it comes in kind of wraps around the back of the basin. And so you're able to, to, uh, glass from the trail down into this basin. And, um, I think we saw on Friday, I think we saw, I don't know, a dozen bucks in there. And there's two really nice ones. One of them had a couple of non-typical stickers off of one side. The other one had, was just a mainframe four that was probably about 28 inches wide. So we're up on, you know, Tim and I are up on top and we're glassing down into this uh, basin. And, um, 
And so I got some pictures of these two bucks and it's like, all right, man, we know the basin is, is really tough from a stick bow standpoint, though, to hunt. Um, it doesn't have a lot of topography in there and getting into the basin itself. At the head of the basin, there's a bunch of cliffs and, and uh, they kind of rim around like the one whole side of the basin. So it's difficult to, to drop in from that side. Um, so the next morning, opening morning, I'm up at our glassing point, glassing into the, the basin that I, that I really prefer to stock. And nothing, you know, the, the deer that are in there, the biggest one, like I said, was about 140 inches. But they all drop out of the basin, over the edge, into the canyon, into the jack pines. And at that point, you know, you're kind of, um, you lose that advantage of a, a good spot in stock where you're able to locate them and then drop in after them. So I decided to, to uh, back out and go look in the basin that um, that we had seen those bucks in on the hike in. So we go over to that basin. It's now 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, something like that. And um we're, we're looking it's like damn we can't find a deer one in this basin and and where the day before there have been like a dozen of them in there so we uh, I'm, I'm glassing and glassing and, and then I look down in the timber in the bottom of the basin and here's a freaking blue and white backpacking tent with a guy <laughs> you know walking around the tent it's like oh man I couldn't believe it so I was like well was he know, a hunter did we had no, that just a backpacker the guy was doing yoga like literally that plateau when you come yeah. up on the left, he was doing yoga every morning. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And this, yeah, it, you, I mean it's public land. I mean, yep. it, I mean I'm not, but I'm like, man, couldn't you do yoga by the trail? Like <laughs> right. if you have to go right where the deer are. Like he was up there doing the de- downward dog shit. What is oh, that no. called? Yeah. You, and I'm uh-huh. like. Not what I want to be looking at. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So we, uh, so we, you know, at this point it's, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning and, you know, both basins, neither of them have anything. So we, uh, we hike back the main trail back to look over into another um, canyon and uh, we go over on the backside there and, and which is on the backside of the basin where this guy has uh, has been camping. And we I think we found like four of the bucks that had gotten pushed out of that basin, but they weren't really in a stockable position. And, and about this time, a storm rolls in. And so we, you know, put our rain gear on and kind of took cover and got pounded on for a while, um, managed to get ourselves you know, fairly wet by the time we walked back to camp through all the wet vegetation. And I had tore my rain gear, so um, I used a, some Luco tape because, you know, to, to patch that tear. But somehow <laughs> was, through hydrostatic pressure, I was still getting water through and, and uh, then got into my boots. And, you know, so it was a miserable affair by the time I got back to camp or we got back to camp and then, you know, trying to dry everything out and, and all that. Incidentally, um, I uh, I used my sawtooth on that Nevada hunt, and I was, you know, a little concerned about bugs, um, about mosquitoes. But fortunately, it's such a dry year up there that there really wasn't a mosquito hatch up there. Um, but thing worked great there. And then I um, I wasn't planning on bringing it on that Colorado hunt just because of. Um, the amount of moisture up there and I was concerned about condensation with a single wall tent and uh, 
there was a few days that I had, you know, to deal with a little bit of that, but man, I'll tell you, having that, that amount of space, I was able to store all the llama packs, all the gear, had all my crap spread out. I mean, it looked like a flea market inside my tent. <laughs> Do you have a, did we get you a liner? No. Uh-uh. Oh, we'll just, dude, we'll get you a liner. What? There was guys that asked us because we brought Hillebergs for our, our base camp tents uh-huh. and then we spiked out with, with tarps. Um, and uh, there's pros and cons. I, I don't know. You can dive in, but there's not one shelter that does everything. Right. The sawtooth, the downside of it is it's so damn big. You do have to have a landing strip. Yeah, to, to, you do. Um, we brought bivvies and a tarp on this last, you know, bomber two-day elk hunt and uh, – Dude, we ended up having to sleep in a creek because there's only flat ground we could find. Holy I mean, it's all we had. Yeah. But, I mean, so there's nothing ever that's that's perfect. The one thing, though, that um, for me is nice is the room. Yeah. Because I hate being cramped up. Like, you know, I don't mind sleeping in a bivy if I have a tarp to put all my crap under. Right. But I just hate not having that that room to, to lay everything out. And when you've got llamas, you have a pile of gear you got to keep dry. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know your temptation when you have llamas is to bring more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then you're dealing with even more gear, and I still kind of have that lightweight mentality as far as all of my like I I brought a cot in on all my hunts this year. That um, oh, what's the name of that thing? It's uh, is it a Helinox? luxury light? No, it's a Helinox. Yeah, yeah. that Helinox cot, which is awesome, except for. With when you put a sleeping pad on top of that thing, man, it's like sleeping on a grease banana peel. <laughs> <laughs> you you have to strap that thing on. So I brought um, some Velcro up there, but the problem was that Velcro really wasn't sticking to it. Yeah. And so then I took some of my straps for my llama panniers, and I actually had straps going, you know, completely around it, and that that solved it. So my, my buddy had to tie. That's funny you say that. He tied his up with guy line. He, he stole it off. Um, his tent or shelter and then tied it yeah. around because he's like, yeah. I'd wake up and it'd be shot out to the side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you, I mean, you roll over and the thing squirts out. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it was miserable. <laughs> the first, uh, the first time I, I used it was on that, um, that hunt in Nevada. And I spent more time trying to get the thing back underneath me than I think I did sleeping <laughs> on it. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But I uh, know that, that, that setup was awesome. You know, I, I had a piece of Tyvek that I used as a ground cloth, had all my gear spread out on that, that, that cot was, and that's another thing too, with that cot is you want to make sure you are pretty much perfectly level because uh, you get any kind of slant and then you're, again, you're sliding off your sleeping pad and, um, and, uh, and, or the sleeping pad, you know, just, it makes it that much harder to keep it on top of the cot. Yeah. So definitely a little bit of wrestling with that cot, but if you get leveled out, oh man, it's uh, the next best thing to sleeping on a, on your mattress at home. That's for sure. Yeah. So that was uh, kind of wrapped up day one. Um, day two, get back up to our glassing spot. Um, again, looking into that same basin. That's the day that we were covered up in elk and there was that good, that really nice bull. And he's a clean six by six, but it had a sticker coming off the one side there um, that was, uh, you know, really neat. And this bull's only, geez, 150 yards directly below us. I mean, darn near muzzleloader range. You could have lobbed one in on them. Um, and the, there were bulls. I, I think there was four bulls in the in the uh, basin that day. But again, you know, nothing bigger than a 140 class buck in there. 
So again, we uh, we bail off the glassing point once all those deer and I, and don't get me wrong, I would have stalked that 140 class buck, but again, they dropped out of the basin down into the jack pines and and it was game over at that point. So we uh, we dropped back down into the basin on the other side of camp, figuring okay. Because we watched that guy pack up and leave. So it's like, all right, finally that basin's back to, you know, back to being undisturbed. So we get back over there and we're, we're up on a, on a high point and we hear voices and people yelling. And I look, you know, and the trail goes through the top end of this basin. And I look down the trail and here come four people bebopping down um, the trail and with a dog. So yeah, blew know. the basin out again, <laughs> and I, I it just like it was so frustrating. So we figured, okay, two days in a row, this basin gets blown out. Um, we're gonna have to, you know, give it a, a, a rest day because th- these people were just day hiking. So at least they weren't coming in and camping. Um, so that afternoon, uh, we by then it was you know past lunchtime. Um, and we could see another storm rolling in. And so we, we headed back to camp. We got back to camp just as a major storm hit. And I don't know if, um, if you guys got hit by that one on Sunday or if it bypassed you guys and hit us. We but, got hit by, by yeah, a few, yeah. We got effed up like a football bat on the one. It was it was opening, bad. Opening day was pretty rough. Yeah, opening day was bad. Yeah, it came in at like nine. Mm. We didn't come out of the tent until... Two. Oh man. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> yeah, well, we spent the whole rest of the day in the tent because it was, I mean, it was hailing like crazy and it sounded like we were getting shot at by machine guns. I mean, it was, it was nuts. We got some cool video from it though, but the whole, you know, the ground outside looked like it had snowed. There was so much hail. hail. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that pretty well killed Sunday. Uh, Monday morning, again, back up to the glassing spot, nothing doing up there. So we, uh, we loaded up, and that's when I took him on that um, Tim on that walkabout down down the ridge, and and uh, we didn't. By the time we got down there, it was um, it was probably it was well past prime time, and so we, I was hoping to pick something up in the trees. We'd you know walk a little ways, glass, walk a little ways, glass. We did see a nice ram, um, I don't know, maybe a three quarter curl ram, uh, and man, I'll tell you. I got to hand it to sheep hunters. Um, (laughs) I I don't know if the more I mule deer hunt in sheep country, the less enthusiastic I am about sheep hunting because you just don't see, of course you're looking, you know, maybe in a little bit different country. Maybe you're, you should be probably spending a little bit more time looking in timbered areas than I am when I'm mule deer hunting. But the amount of rams that I see while I'm mule deer hunting, I might see one ram every other year. Or like a, a group of rams if there's more than one of them together. But I'm not seeing, you know, multiple stock opportunities per season when I'm looking at mule deer, you know, when I'm seeing sheep. Uh, now, you see tons of lambs and ewes, but um, not not the rams. Yeah. Before I forget, I'm going to have to head out of here in about 15 minutes to see why I'm dying. But yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Um, we'll skip forward a couple days more of uneventful action. You, you, I had messaged you. I'm getting my butt kicked, 
the day you right. shot yours and you said, yeah, I'm getting my butt kicked too, but it all came together. So was it fairly uneventful for a couple of days? Yeah, I had, uh, I think I got in a stock the day before I shot my buck. Um, but that was, no, I, I did. I did on, so Monday, Tuesday, I got a good stock on a buck. Um, it was bedded on this bench. It was in the basin that was uh, on the far side of camp. So this is the first time that we'd hunted this basin. It was day four. And legitimately, if I hadn't gotten blown out by those, you know, two groups of backpackers, I should have been able to to get some good stocks in. Um, but it just didn't work out that way, unfortunately. So day four, um, a glass up, a buck on on this bench where it's kind of a prayer that I'm going to be able to get in on on this thing. It's um, you know out on a flat in kind of an amphitheater shaped basin, and I um, I go ahead and I decide you know this is a long shot, but I'm going to go ahead and drop in on him anyway. Um, he's bedded facing away, so I'm kind of approaching him through wide open country for a couple hundred yards with no cover. So I get down maybe half the way to him, and the buck gets up and then goes and beds in the willows, which is like the total gift, yeah, right? Yeah. So I I'm able to hustle down at this point. I sneak around, come up um, from behind him. I'm about 17 or 18 yards from him in the willows, and I can see the tops of his antlers all the way down. Well, I know I could see all the way from like the skull cap up. Now, was this the buck you <clears throat> killed? It ends up being the buck I kill. Yeah. Okay. But not on that day. Gotcha. Um, so I, uh, I decide I'm going to sneak in as I get in on them and Tim's videoing from across the basin. And so I decide, you know, it's one of those things, a conundrum when you're videoing, you want to get the whole scene, the buck stands up, you know, you get the shot. Um, but if you're going to sit there and wait them out, then you run the risk from the video guys. He's got to sit there and burn memory cards and burn batteries, or he's got to, you know, keep videoing on and off and kind of try to capture the action and probably miss the deer standing up. So I decide I'm going to try the old throw the rocks trick, right? So there's no rocks around me. So I have to sneak back away from the buck to go find some rocks. I put three of them in my pocket. I walk, you know, sneak back to where I'm 18 yards from this buck. I throw my first rock, goes over the top of him. He looks in the direction where the rock went, doesn't get up. I reach into my pocket to grab the next rock. I'm leaning up against this boulder and I'm I'm getting kind of excited at this point and I don't get a good hold on the rock and I got between the, you know the, my my tab and my right hand and the rock I drop the rock it clanks off the boulder and the buck starts kind of looking around like what the heck was that? I reach down there pick the rock up. Now now I'm so flustered I throw the rock and it lands between me and the buck instead <laughs> of the far side. I thought I was going to hit him there for a second. Fortunately, the buck doesn't look back towards me, but he's starting to get, you know, kind of edgy. He ends up standing up and I'm, I got a, I've got a, like a Christmas tree between me and the buck. And so I'm kind of tucked behind it. And all I have to do is lean out and I have a shot. So I'm in a pretty good setup. So I'm anticipating when this buck, I mean, my plan was the the rock lands on the far side of him. The buck stands up looking at where the rock landed, and then I'm able to draw and shoot, right? Well, the buck stands up, his head's at a 90-degree angle, so I can't do anything because he's going to pick up movement. As soon as he stands, gets 
just fully stood up. He turns and looks over his shoulder right at me. So it's uh, like, oh, great. So I'm in the same situation I'm, I was in in Nevada where it's like I, it's a standoff for a few seconds. I decide I'm going to try to slow draw on him like I did on that buck in Nevada. Well, I get about six inches of draw and he, boom, he hauls God, ass. Yeah. So then that blows that day. Um, and then, so we'll go ahead and skip ahead to the day I shot my buck, which is on day seven. And there was, a, there was some action in between there. I got some other stocks and, and, uh, but nothing, um, really of consequence. So I, the day seven that. Let's talk about the walk of shame really quick, which is what I called walking <laughs> out of that hole. How yep. far was your walk back after that thing blew out? It was a mile plus. Yeah. So it gives you a lot of time to think. Oh, the same thing. That's what I started calling it was the walk of shame because I started just bringing a life straw with me to suck uh -huh. water out because it was such a climb. And literally my head's down like, Jesus, is this ever going to happen? And you, you know what I mean? And I just was like, man, it'll eventually happen or whatever. But if you do that three times in a day, like yeah. my caloric intake... I was eating way more food than I thought I would because I was climbing out of that freaking right. hole so many times. Yeah. I was carrying my pack with me, so I had everything with me. Um, Which sucks much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, then you're carrying, you know, 30 pounds or so of stuff. Yeah. And I had, you know, actually I was leaving the tripod and spotting scope behind, so that, that cut it out some. But uh, fast forward to – um, day seven and what I was doing was I was I was leaving Tim and I was going up to the glassing point glassing into the basin if nothing bedded in a good spot then I was I had Tim glassing the the other basin so we were you know trying to cover all the ground so that if something went you know if, if there was a deer in his basin and it went bedded up he was going to be able to keep track of it while I was watching these deer because they were taking so long to get out of the basin where I was that by the time we got over, we were having to glass for bedded bucks rather than, you know, them being easy and standing up. So he glassed up, um, I think it was three bucks that went bedded up underneath some rim rock. And by the time I got over there, they were already bedded and he pointed them out to me and they were in a good spot. And we, he didn't know there, we could see two of them and the third one we couldn't see. So I went ahead and I decided, man, I'm tired of carrying this pack. So I left my pack behind. I, I went bare essentials. I put my, my uh, face paint on and I did the same loop around um, that I had been doing. But this time I had found a way th down through these cliffs that I thought were impassable before. And this was going to drop me more directly on top of these deer and also at the same time give me better – cover from the rim rock they were bedded behind i was coming in directly behind them so they had no way of seeing me as long as i didn't get picked off going through the top end of the basin um getting over there so it all worked out great i got over there um there was a bunch of willows on the top of you know right above the rim rocks there so i had to drop my pants again and uh stock them in my boxers <laughs> and uh so i pushed through those willows got on top of the this band of uh rim rock and the smallest buck was to the right the one of the bigger bucks was to the uh, excuse me the smallest buck is to the left from my perspective 
one of the bigger bucks um, was to the right, and then that middle deer, which Tim had never got a chance to lay eyes on, and I thought I had picked up a fork at one point in time, was in the middle. So the deer on the far right, um, when I was coming in on him, it was a little bit tricky for me to get around on um, on that deer. He was bedded facing in the direction I was going to be coming in on. So I figured I'm going to go for the middle deer. So I got on top of the rim rock and I'm moving all over the top of this. The, the buck on the left, the small one had gotten up and I could see his forks over the top of the rim rock as he's moving around. So I'm trying to not get picked off by him, but at the same time, look over. And I mean, I'm I'm less than 15 yards of these deer for probably 15 minutes as I'm trying to figure out a shot angle. Finally, I realize I, you know, I'm not going to be able to poke my head over without getting picked up by that smaller buck. So I decided to back off, come back around and try to get a shot at that buck on the right. So I just gotten back around to the right side of the rim rock and was maybe three or four yards from being able to poke over the top and all of a sudden that the buck ends up he's a four by four though he really looks like a four by three because the fourth point on the one side is only maybe inch and a half or two inches long he doesn't have a fully a developed big framed form. deer though yeah, yeah really big framed buck nice a really nice buck he's like i think he's like you know close to 27 wide something like that so this buck um feeds out and when I come over the top, he's six yards from me. And there's a um, a little evergreen right between he and I. And, of course, it's covering his vitals. And fortunately, the buck's looking downhill. He's feeding on a willow bush that's right below him. And the panic in me is saying, shoot right, shoot him right through the bush, right? But it's a fairly thick bush. I mean, I cannot see. It's not like I can see a hole through the bush or through this tree. It's a very dense one, but it's only about three feet tall. So I'm, I'm kind of like leaning back. So the roll of the hill and the grass between us is covering and only, you know, I'm looking at him through one eyeball <laughs> over the top <laughs> of the hill here. And I'm going, all he needs to do is take one step. He has no idea you're here. Just relax, relax and let him do his thing. He, uh, Instead of taking that one step, he turns his head. Now he's facing directly uphill at me, and he starts feeding on that evergreen. Still has no idea you're there. No idea I'm here. So I'm shrinking back further into the grass. So now instead of looking over the top of the grass, I'm looking through the grass, and I can see the tips of his antlers as he's bobbing and feeding on this evergreen. And he does this for probably 30 or 45 seconds, and, man, I'm turning into a bowl of jello by now. Just like... You know, it's day seven. I've, the, I haven't had too many opportunities. The deer haven't been dispersed like they normally are. I haven't been finding – I've been finding some decent bucks, but not like the number of good bucks that, that you normally would. So I'm feeling the pressure and I'm no doubt about it. And finally, the buck takes a step out and then turns and he's feeding on that willow again. So I come – I ease up. As I'm drawing my bow, come back to full draw, hit my clicker just as the buck turns his head and kind of like starts to swing his head back up in my direction. Hit that clicker and shot, hit him right, you know, tight behind the front shoulder, right where you'd want to, exits the armpit down uh, down below. Um, 
and uh, bolts down the you know down the ridge, takes that second and third buck with them, and uh, they just go tearing off down down through the bottom of the basin. He probably went I don't know maybe hundred yards or so, and then uh, does a you know quick little button hook. Then beds down. It's like, yeah, man, I know I got him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that piled up right there. So yeah, it worked out friggin' awesome. Got killer two an- two angle camera, you know, video footage of him. And no, oh, that's good. And I, I, when you sent me the photo, I was like, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that that's a big frame deer. I mean, that's a good deer, yeah. especially for a stick bow. But no, that's awesome. And it sounds like too that. Maybe where you were at was the same thing where we were at as things were not as they normally were. No, so. not at all. Yeah, they were they were the deer the animals are definitely dispersed a lot differently. I feel like on those dry years, a lot of those mature bucks just don't come up. You yeah. know, they stay lower. Um and it seems like those monsoons that they green up pretty well down at the lower elevation. And I think those big bucks were just hanging down lower. Yeah, no, that's what it seems like. But, well, man, I I uh, hate to have to go, but they could fit me in for the doctor's appointment to see what the hell is wrong with me this morning. So, um, I don't know if you guys want to do go on and do uh, part two of this and go over your your elk hunt while I'm um, seeing what kind of streptococcus I have or what. But man, it was it was good having you in here, and I'm sorry I got to take off. But that sounded like a hell of a a journey. And Tim got one too, didn't he? Uh Tim was just videoing. Was he? Okay, yeah. cool. I was. And sure, I got so many different photos. He's a hell of a photographer. Oh man, I was getting confused on who, if that was your buck or or his buck when he was sending me different pictures of different right. angles. But yeah, no, that's good. But man, congratulations! That's three animals. We haven't talked about the elk yet, but yeah, three animals and three hunts. That's damn good work. Yeah, I was pretty blessed this year. I, I'm not gonna lie, yeah. things worked out well. No, for sure. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming down. And yeah, if you and Frank want to continue this, great. If not, we can do it at a different time. But thanks for coming in. And uh, yeah, and thanks for everything else, the support. Hopefully you're liking the pack and the products. Absolutely. And the no, DVD, great. Did the new DVD get released? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, reminding me on that one. So yeah, the... I have the... watched it 700 times. I've watched it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've actually got a couple copies for you guys. And I and, uh, came out about, I don't know, five weeks ago, I think. So, yeah, stalkerstickbows.com, you can get a copy of the last DVD. So it's a, um, a two-pack. It's a flash drive with uh, the um, DVD or with the film in HD. And then the DVD is a standard def DVD. So kind of cover the guys with, uh, you know, both ends of the technology spectrum there. Yeah, definitely worth uh, watching it. The old one as well. I watch them both because there's just no other good stickbow videos. Sorry for whoever makes other stickbow <laughs> videos. They just suck. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, truly if you're a mule deer hunter or a high country hunter, you're the only one. There's not really any other stick bow videos and I'm not trying to pump your tires. I just, I've looked. I yeah. Mean, there's I don't really know <laughs> many good, uh, good compound. Yeah. High country videos. Yeah. It would go into full moon production when those guys came out. Yeah. Well, I'm like, yeah, what like are you that. taking 20 yeah. minutes putting camo on for to make a hundred yard shot? That shit doesn't even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'll tell you though, those guys were masters at putting it on, man. It was, they're pretty badass looking when they got it all on. Oh yeah. No, they did. But all right, man, I got to head to the doctor. I appreciate it though. Yeah. No worries.